You're listening to Threads. I'm Luke Fraser, and welcome to a special end of the year episode of The Tonic, featuring a personal selection of music from over the past 12 months of the show. I hesitate to use the term best of, music's not a competition, after all, but these are just some of the pieces that, for one reason or other, have stood out to me. So I very much hope you enjoy what follows. The vocal segments you'll hear are those taken from the original shows.
That is taken from a quite extraordinary album containing two pieces by Baronius Kurtevicius, who died recently in 2021, I think, having written numerous instrumental and vocal works inspired by ancient Lithuanian pre-Christian polytheistic traditions. He's been variously described as a shaman drawing audiences into his rites and a cultural archaeologist who uses contemporary tools to reconstruct the forgotten artifacts of ancient civilizations. That is the second movement of From the Jotvingian Stone, written in 1983. The Jotvingians were a Western Baltic people who lived in the areas of Sudovia and Deneva, corresponding to modern-day Lithuania, along with parts of Poland and Belarus and who were active through the High and Late Middle Ages, playing a contributing role in the formation of the Lithuanian state. Their decline has apparently been something of a riddle that has been taken up in the explorations of several generations of academics and artists, but which also perhaps achieved a new significance through the works of Bronius Kutovicius as a form of cultural rediscovery and self-determination in an era of Soviet conformist pressure. It's based on lines of poetry written in Jotvingian by the 16th century poet Hieronym Maliki, which are supplemented with texts by Kurtovicius himself. Set in two movements, it's all like nothing I've really heard before. I highly recommend the whole album. It's called Last Pagan Rites from the Jotvingian Stone, and it was released on MIC Lithuania in 2019 and it was performed by the Adige Chamber Choir. They were conducted by Romualdus Grazinius, and you heard Virginia Karpovicucci, solo voice, and Amvidus Jankus, Raminus Strollis, Agderius Jelimski, and Thomas Matevicius on wooden folk horns.
I came across that piece for the first time last month as the opener in a concert given in London by the brilliant Manchester Collective. It's called Carrot Revolution, written in 2015 by Gabriella Smith, a composer from Berkeley, California, and now based in Seattle. She's a violinist herself as well, and that no doubt has fed into the writing of this piece. Carrot Revolution was written for and recorded by her friends, the Izuri Quartet, as a response to the Barnes's Foundation exhibit, The Order of Things, in which paintings from the US chemist and art collector Dr. Albert C. Barnes's collection were displayed with other often unexpected objects, and juxtaposed in ways that bring out similarities and differences in shape, colour and texture. She said that she envisaged the piece as a celebration of that spirit of fresh observation and of new ways of looking at old things, such as the string quartet, as well as some of my even older musical influences, Bach, Perrotin, Gregorian chant, Georgian folk songs, and Celtic fiddle tunes. The piece is a patchwork of my wildly contrasting influences, and full of weird, unexpected juxtapositions and intersecting planes of sound, inspired by the way the Barnes's ensembles show old works in new contexts, and draw connections between things we don't think of as being related. And the name? Well, while walking around the barns looking for inspiration for the piece, she remembered a Cezanne quote she'd heard years ago. The day will come when a single freshly observed carrot will start a revolution. The Izuri Quartet are Emma Fucht and Miho Siguza, violins, Ayane Kozaza, viola, and Karen Wiesonian cello. And it's taken from the album Blueprinting that was put out on New Amsterdam in 2018.
So if at our daily brainstormings, I pitched to you techno for MIDI controlled pipe organ, would your eyes light up or would you perhaps roll them instead in despair at the hipster cynicism of it all? Well, based on that record, the first reaction would in fact be correct. That was Dusseldorf by Maxime Danouk, an electronic music composer based in Brussels, and it's from his 2022 release, Nachthorn. He's one half of Plap La Pinky, along with Raphael Hennard, a duo noted for their sideways approach to club music. They've explored the potential links between both Baroque and religious music and contemporary dance culture through their releases. Nachthorn, meanwhile, takes its name from one of the 78 stops that make up the main organ in St. Antonius Church in Dusseldorf. That instrument, equipped with a system developed by the German company Sinua, offers the possibility of controlling all of its keyboards and timbres via computer, turning the organ into a fully programmable analog synth with all its quirks and difficulties. The album ranges with both subtlety and continuity between vintage trance, the dub and minimal techno, or basic channel that you heard there on Düsseldorf, along with ambient and drone. It was released on Vleck in 2022.
Now, I know this show is probably not your first port of call if and when you do think of lounge music or exotica, but hey, it's good to throw a slight curveball every once in a while. That piece, redolent of the father of exotica, Martin Denny, the postmodern heydays of John Zorn and Christian Markley, and Luke Vibert's retro sample drenched electro. It was called Starry Night by Norwegian composer Oiden Tovand, and it's taken from his The Exotica album, released back in 2019. Commissioned by Bergen's Bit 20 Ensemble, it's a knowing homage of sorts to the post-war era of lounge and exotica, with its heavily romanticised vision of the South Pacific. He said, the piece grew out of a wish to do something in the exotica genre and link it to early electronic modernism. I had an idea to combine the two worlds, using the idea that they were both wanting to explore the unknown. I also had this mental image of one of the pieces being like going up a river in a canoe and suddenly discovering these abstract installations or sculptures in the jungle. So I started writing tunes that were clearly inspired by the sounds and colours of 50s exotica and then added abstract compositions and improvisations that ran parallel to the tunes and that sometimes interacted with them, with synths imitating waves, rain, birds and other natural phenomena. Musically, the broad strokes are well known, easy, uh, you might say, to listen to, but the album is full of great little details, both acoustic and electronic in origin, and in its exotica, it feels like a knowing and fond homage, rather than being any sort of arch modernist deconstruction. Exotica is perhaps not a genre without problems. It comes out of a post-colonial consumer era, with audiences wooed by the Adman's stylized misrepresentation of South Pacific culture. But in its defense, it was sonically original, and it's hard to accuse it for that reason of appropriation per se. And it wasn't all just PR for white America. Sun Ra in particular was a big advocate of the genre, and I think that speaks to its sense of exploration. It's pushing out there, coupled ironically, at least for me, with its accessibility. You heard playing on that Schertel Moster, saxophones and electronics, Jürgen Tron, modular synth and noise, and the Bit 20 Ensemble, conducted by Trond Madsen. The album, the Exotica album, was released on Hubro in 2019.
the sound of the Baroque, or some lost folk form perhaps, refracted there through the writing of John Lely. That's his beautiful piece, Meander Selection, written in 2018. London-based, he's also the co-curator of the concert series Music We'd Like to Hear. They're putting on some great events with interesting programming across the UK. That piece is from his, I think, debut release, also called Meander Selection, and containing a series of recent chamber pieces in various formats. He's interested in the variety of sounds, correspondences, and experiences that can arise through the use of limited materials. So though the surface style of one piece to the next on the album can vary pretty considerably, Michael Nyman-esque minimalism one moment, sacred music or drone the next, there's a sense of an underlying process and interest in small increments of change. That piece, performed by Apartment House, they are Mira Benjamin and Gordon McKay, violin, Bridget Carey, viola, and Anton Lukovici, cello. And the album Meander Selection was released on Another Tambra in 2022.
I really must get that CD player looked at. That was, well, not quite a malfunctioning playthrough of Waiting for a Star to Fall by 80s American pop duo Boy Meets Girl. Fun fact, did you know they also wrote both How Will I Know and I Wanna Dance With Somebody Who Loves Me for Whitney Houston? Now, that's not bad going. No, that was in fact Corzo by US composer and general plunderphonic wizard Carl Stone. He's been making primarily electronic music since around the late 60s, and for the past couple of decades, I think, has pretty much only made music via laptop using the graphical programming environment Max MSP. Think of it as patching things into other things to make yet more things happen. I was fortunate enough to catch him as part of a three-day residency at Cafe Otto last month and noted that he is now branched out into using a tablet as well, enabling him to move around on stage, if not quite to dance along to his often highly rhythmically driven music. His work is what you might call plunderphonics, a classical quote-unquote music equivalent, if you like, of sampling in hip-hop that was pioneered by John Oswald. He was famously sued by the lawyers and Michael Jackson for appropriating the track Bad and turning it into an oral fun house of mirrors. Worth having a listen to that, for sure. It's an extreme version of remixing, in a sense, based on granular synthesis, the technique of splicing up audio into tiny grains or atoms, each of perhaps only a few milliseconds, then processing them in some way or other, before finally aggregating them back together into larger clouds of sound. It's really an aesthetic driven by the process of deconstruction and reconstruction, rather than one dictated by the style of the source. And in this sense, the surface style from one piece to the next can vary wildly, united though as they are by that singular approach. I chose that piece to play in particular because I happen to know the source. And what struck me as pretty crazy is that his mashup is still consistently in 4-4 and that it still has exactly the same chord structure as the original. But it's as though each individual bar has been sliced and diced a thousand ways, with new melodies and microtextures emerging. Now just turning 60, his career seems to me to have been on a very interesting, almost reverse trajectory. The earlier works from the 70s and 80s feel slightly more academic, that's not a criticism, whilst over recent years he's moved towards releasing music directly with increasing frequency and using contemporary source materials, which definitely gives his music a sense of a genus, for want of a better term, that's pretty rare in already well-established composers of his vintage. From his perspective, he said that, I think it's interesting to evaluate my music by the standards of pop, although I think it would consistently fail if that's the only way to listen. What I do is often pop, but from a critical perspective that takes pop tropes and turns them on their heads. A longtime resident of Tokyo alongside the US, he's collaborated widely with Southeast Asian musicians and artists. And another fun fact, as far as I'm aware, all of his compositions are named after one or other restaurant he's eaten at in some point in the past. The album that piece is taken from 2022's Wat Dong Moon Lek, released on Unseen Worlds, is the name of a favourite Thai restaurant of his, based in LA.
that's just brilliantly strange and written way back in 1922. It's called Preludio a Colón. The Colón there is Christopher Columbus, I think. And it was written by Julian Carrillo, a Mexican composer, conductor, violinist, and musical theorist known for developing a theory of microtonal music, which he dubbed Sonido Trece, the 13th sound. 13th being employed poetically, I think, because it enabled musicians to go beyond the 12 equal divisions of the octave in Western equal temperament. He developed the system whilst experimenting with his violin, striking on the ingenious idea of using a razor blade to stop the E string between the positions for the notes G and A, and so managing to create 16 audibly differentiable divisions within this single tone. He somewhat modestly described it as a system that will be the beginning and end and point of departure of a new musical generation which will transform everything. Yeah, it never caught on. While some loyalists were enthusiastic, others attacked or were indifferent to the idea. But whilst it's easy to smile at a certain degree of hubris, he was an absolute pioneer in this sense. He developed the system way back in 1895 well in advance of US experimentalists such as Harry Parch, Henry Cowell, Charles Ives, and so on, who we have come to associate with pioneering microtonality in the 20th century. He did get some recognition, though. The government of his home state of San Luis Potosi declared July 13th, of course, as State Day of Honour, and he had the national flag raised over his house. Brilliantly, they even renamed his hometown of Ajualuco in 1913 to Ajualuco del Sonido Trece, and it remained with this name for the next 12 years. They really missed a trick there by not waiting a further year, it seems. Anyhow, the Preludio a Colón is probably his best-known composition, and for a reason, I think. Originally scored for soprano, singing in fifths of a tone, flute, guitar and violin both in quarter tones, octavina, also known as a guitaron, a large bass guitar familiar from mariachi bands in eighth tones, and a specially built harp in sixteenth tones. A few years after his death, a new version of the work was published, rescored for soprano, flute, string quartet, sixteenth tone harp, and optional quarter tone guitar, and that's the one you heard in the recording there. It was performed by Mitsuko Shirai, soprano, Ross Wither, stage, flute, Monique Rollin, harp, Bernard Busser and Ronald Hoogeven, violin, Rainer Schattlieben, viola, Frank Wolf, cello, and they were conducted by Juan Pablo Izquierdo. For me, it's rare to hear microtonal music of this era that so successfully creates meaning from such subtle differences in pitch. There's a psychological drive and acuteness behind the piece that so subtly uses these differences as a means of aiding the performance. It's not just musico-scientific experimentation, but a very real sense of drama we hear unfolding between our ears. The album that's from, Jubilee Edition, was released on Capriccio in 2017.
for me, is one of those pieces that on first listen just pushes itself straight into your musical memory. And it's one of those pieces I've tried not to replay too much for fear of reducing the pleasure of the first few listens. It's called The Ringing World, and it was written in 2015 by Brooklyn-based Swedish composer and performer Adrian Knight. It's a real cliche, I know, to say it's something you could dive into, but with this piece, that sense to me feels really palpable. I think it's the combination of the lush yet static minor chords with the ringing tones of the vibraphone and piano relayed via the overall production, which is really superb. Some excellent miking going on there. Formed of five short sections, which are strung together into one, it's actually rhythmically palindromic, both as a whole and within each section albeit with layers of rhythmically looser material floating in between, forming melodies and tensions that are sometimes resolved and sometimes left hanging. Each movement contains subtle changes of what's previously been heard, but in such a way that the surface remains basically unrippled 
and the harmonic progressions continue intact. The title, meanwhile, comes from the official journal of the Central Council of Church Bell Ringers. Adrian Knight has said that the plight of the ringers may be lost on the corpses and newborn babies, but it points to the greater power of sound as made manifest by physical struggle or human suffering. Each sound, a small strike against the frictionless vanity of the financial and political hierarchies that make up the bulk of our inheritance and our reality. It was performed there by the New York-based trio Beethoven. They are Pat Swoboda, bass, Carl Larson, piano, and Matt Evans, percussion. And it's taken from their album, Trios, that was released on Cantaloupe Music back in 2017.
that's such an amazing recording. You really get the sense of being right there in that wonderful space. It's the Tank Center for Sonic Arts in Rangeley, Colorado, in case you were wondering. What you heard there is the first part, the opening constellation, Summer, of Michael Harrison's 2016 piece, Just Constellations. From Eugene, Oregon, he's a composer and pianist now based in NYC. And slight side note, but in the 80s he designed and produced something called the harmonic piano, effectively a modified grand piano with the ability to play 24 notes per octave. It's an invention that's been called an indisputable landmark in the history of Western tuning. It's well worth checking out some of the recordings he's made using it. You can find them on YouTube. It's a weirdly uncanny reframing of such a familiar sound. Anyhow, the whole piece from which what you just heard was taken contains four interconnected constellations or movements of justly tuned chords and modes. As a quick recap, just tuning or just intonation is where the frequencies of different notes relate to each other in whole integer ratios. In a nutshell, it's much more sonorous and harmonically rich than the standard equal temperament that we almost exclusively use today. Michael Harrison was also singing and studying classical Indian vocal music, which also relies on just tunings. He'd imagined how the sustained harmonies he produced on the piano might translate to the voice, but realized this could only really be achieved with a vocal ensemble. Fortunately, the idea became reality when he was commissioned by the celebrated vocal ensemble Roomful of Teeth, which features Caroline Shaw, whose partita for eight voices I played a couple of years back on the show. They are Esteli Gomez and Martha Kluver, soprano, Caroline Shaw and Virginia Wonkin, alto, Eric Dudley, tenor, Avery Griffin, baritone, Dashon Burton, bass baritone, and Cameron Beauchamp, bass. And Rumford of Teeth's album, Michael Harrison, Just Constellations, was released on New Amsterdam in 2020. So that's more or less it. I hope you enjoyed this special end of the year roundup. The Tonic will be back on Wednesday, the 21st of February, 2024. Wow, it feels weird saying that. As ever, you can check the show's Instagram page for confirmation of that, the underscore tonic underscore, and drop me a message at any point via Instagram or the tonic.online, where you can find access to all previous episodes of the show and an archive of the artists and recordings featured. Thanks to everyone at Threads, Gabe, Rosie, Lee, Freddie, and the whole crew. I'm Luke Fraser. Thanks for listening.